Bam 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 Acquaintance be forgot and left old anxiety. New Year, bish. Welcome to 2020, New Year. New Year, everybody. How are you? Are you feeling new, listeners? Are you feeling terrified? Shiny? Are you feeling exhausted? Does this feel like an arbitrary reset because time is a circle, or are you here for it? P.S. Welcome to Go Help Yourself. This is a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. We are Misty Stennett and Lisa Linky, and we are here to bring you a new book every week. We're going to read you a popular self-help book. Not read you. We're going to read a popular self-help We're book. We're going to share it with you. share it with you. The tips, the tricks, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly. And so we do this so you don't have to. Yeah. You can yeah. go on living your life while still getting the life-altering self-help perspective and advice that you've been craving yeah. that somebody's been begging you to get our goal is to empower with you or <laughs> yep it's, mm-hmm. we're off to a great start 2020 plenty plenty we, you know what we do want to empower with you we also we want to be of service and empower you with the main points of all of these popular That's self-help right. books so that you can do whatever you want you can talk down to people at parties and go oh i know all about that book also Thanks. we want to empower you with a choice to not buy it if it sounds like it's a dumpster fire which we've had oh, yeah. several of if you're just joining us a Welcome. Welcome to your self-help journey. Welcome here. I'll be alive and be of good cheer. Wow. Oh, that's for my the, magical the days. The holidays are they're still going strong uh-huh. in Lisa Linky, that's everybody. Right. Uh but if if you've been with us for quite some time, you know that there are dumpster fires of books out there. Oh, many. And we're weeding through them for you. So come join us for a laugh. It's not that serious. You yeah. can take it as seriously as you want. It's not that serious. Yeah. And sometimes it's really serious and we've scream cried. Uh, so so it's the new year. I mean, I can't believe it, Misty. It's 2020. Yeah. We, we released have... our very first episode a year ago tomorrow. It was January 4th of 2019, which Insane is crazy. Insane in the membrane. Ins- well, we released our teaser on the first, but our oh, first full yeah, episode. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we um, We're one year old. I'm we're a, over a hundred episodes. I'm a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> Our podcast is still shitting all over itself. Oh, we cuss. (laughs) Oh, we fucking cuss. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. What did you guys think about our holiday um, episodes for you? Did you enjoy them? Did you use them? Because we had fun. We had a great time. And really, all you can ever do is try to please yourself. Because as Abraham Lincoln said, you can please some of the people some of the time. No, no. I'm going to take it back. As Abraham Lincoln said, you can please all of the people some of the time. And some of the people all of the time. But you can't please all of the people all the time. He also said, I can't wait for this play. Um, so, <laughs> that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, Sam is laughing too. We're joined by our 
inimitable producer Sav. We never know how to say Fairfax that word. Fairfax Village He just Studios. laughed so hard. I don't know why it took me so long to get the, I can't wait for this play. <laughs> the point is, life is abundant, yeah. which is our tagline. So it's the new year. Lisa, yeah. do you do resolutions? No. Do you approach anything about the new year? Like, do you do you care? <laughs> I need you guys to know that she swept her hands together <laughs> with a force of like, <laughs> do you please care? Please care. Um, I I do a an annual review oh. um, uh, for like myself because I'm self employed. Yes. So I I do like a quarter and an annual. Uh, review. Oh, on I'm goals. sort of like, oh, of goals. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, but listen, time is a concept that it was created by humans and mm. the actual now doesn't exist because by the time that I've marked now, it's actually already passed. Yeah, we've just been in one long present moment, which is not <laughs> anxiety inducing at all. So inten- uh, I would prefer to work in intentions versus mm-hmm. goals and um, resolutions. And there's actually a lot of studies that show that resolutions don't work. Putting your, putting pressure on yourself and then right on the cusp of this very weird time where you haven't been doing your normal activity as tough. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've read a lot of research that says, oh, if you're joining us for the first time, we love research. Stam. We love STEM and science. And as we learn in Atomic Habits, it's not about, it's it's about how frequently you, and Wait, you can design what, your habit. What I'm yeah. trying to say is it's, we've learned that it's more effective to have a process-oriented goal mm-hmm. versus a product-oriented goal. Mm-hmm. So it's not... I want to run a marathon. It's I'm a I want to I'm a runner. I want to run three times a week. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. So do you I do? Uh... So I don't do resolutions anymore. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, my wonderful friend Tiffany uh, shared with me what she does, and she picks a theme for the year. Oh, I love year themes. Yes. So I'm still settling on my theme for this year, but last year's was I welcome what's to come. I remember you saying that a couple. Yeah, times. and I actually saved it as uh, my daily alarm on my phone and I never touched it. I mean, you know, I obviously changed the time of the no, alarm. My alarm rang for a full year. 6 a.m. all day, every day. Uh, but it said I welcome what's to come and what's really, what was really nice for me is that every time I was faced with a scary change in 2019 was a year of very scary changes mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in my life. I was reminded it's okay to embrace it. I welcome what's to come. I'm that say, was that's my an affirmation. Yeah. And you've had it in the power hour. Yes. Great. Yes. That's right. Which uh, is a callback to a mini-sode we had with a special guest and life coach, Tanya, Tanya TKO, TKO. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think was in November yeah. or early December. It came out, something like that. So, um, yeah. So I'm still nailing down my theme for this year. And another thing that I'd like to work on I- is narrowing down areas of focus in my life. I love that. So that I know what's priority so that anything that doesn't fit into those areas can sort of fall away. And this comes from like Grit by Angela Duckworth, which we covered. Can I pitch a a theme? Always. 2020. Plenty, plenty. Sav, do you do, uh, uh, I can't even remember what they're called, resolutions? Um, I'll usually do them, but my birthday's the 18th, so I kind of it's like a second check-in for me. Oh. oh. You have 18 days to nail it. If so, I'm not doing it by the 18th, I'm just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> In case you can't hear that, Sav's birthday is January 18th. So, get so he's on got it, like guys. two back-to-back check-in messages. Yeah. If you it we'll give you his address. Just email us at go help yourself podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Just kidding. Um, no, but really, if you want to send him a gift, we'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh 
Yeah. So I'm still narrowing it down, but something I've always wanted to do year after year is guitar. So I'd love to really, and I've taken guitar lessons, but it's sort of fallen off. So I'm, I'm going to find ways to just go, okay, does that really fit into my top level goal? Does that focus? Because I like to go, I can accomplish these 20 things this year, as opposed to I can accomplish three things, you know, in a deep, meaningful way. You and I are kind of type A's. And so uh, my list, if I, if I try to make resolutions, it'll be 40 items long. And that's too much. It's too much. So having an intention or a theme really helps. And I would love to know how how are you who's listening approaching the new yeah. year? Are you doing anything? Because you don't have to. It doesn't have to be some reset. Are you happy with the way things are going? Do you like this refresher? You also, know? when we say that, we're not joking. We respond to every email. Yes. And we want to hear us. from you. Yeah. And God, your hair looks so good. Thank you. That's your new year resolution and you've nailed it. Just hair. Having hair. Hair. Um, <laughs> truly outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair is outrageous, Thank girl. Thank you. Um, but also, you know, if you haven't given us a rating or a review or a subscription, what the fuck are you doing? You're already no, blowing your resolution. No, no, you're not. Misty's nice, and I say, fuck you. No, listen. Fuck you. We're here giving you content for free, and what are you doing for us? You are—I'll tell you what What everyone's doing for us. You're giving me purpose, and it feels really good to be of service. And also to new listeners— Lisa hates self-help. I fucking do. And I'm out here gritting this out for you. The least you could do for me is a fucking five-star rating. No, I I disagree. No five stars. You give whatever star you think it is. One star. Just a star. A star rating. For anyone who is a new um, listener, Lisa's not being serious. We really, you all have been wonderful with your reviews, and she's being facetious. And um, That's what you think. Misty. Hey. Speaking of yeah. whittling down your resolutions for the new year, yeah. what book are you giving us today? I am so excited about this book, and I love this book, and I just finished this book. It's perfect for the new year. I am bringing you the New York Times bestseller, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. I already hate it. Um, I know what it wants me to do. It wants me to give up my phone, and I'm not doing it. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. All right. So this book was published on February 5th of 2019. So it's very recent. It's yeah. not even a year old yet. Not even. Um, and I thought this book would be a great first read for the new year because a lot of us are reevaluating things in our lives and we're being very intentional about what's working for us and what isn't. Uh, so the hardcover is fifteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. The paperback is eighteen forty seven. dollars oh. which I wrote, Why? Why in all caps? Why the Kindle is twelve ninety nine, the audiobook is ten forty nine or one credit, and a credit's like fifteen dollars. And I'm starting to get real annoyed about the discrepancies in Amazon's prices. Like, why is it ten dollars? If you know, like, why am I buying credits if the audiobooks are cheaper? Wait, do you mean Amazon or Audible? Audible, same. I mean, same. Okay, sorry, I don't know. I don't. I don't listen to books. Yeah, I read them. Oh well, that wasn't said with any judgment. Uh, uh, and on the Overdrive app, it's free on my Overdrive app, connected mm-hmm. to my library. But it's a very long wait. It's like ten weeks or something like that. Sure, because it's new, right? So about the author, and this is from. And I will say it's interesting to read about digital minimalism on an app. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or listen to it on an app. Hundred percent. And he talks about it. 
So this is from calnewport.com, the author. Cal Newport graduated from Dartmouth College in 2004 and earned his PhD in electrical engineering and computer science at MIT in 2009. Okay, so he uses a lot of digitals. Sure. After a two-year postdoc, also at MIT, he started during the 2011 to 2012 academic year as an assistant professor of computer science at Georgetown University. Uh, Okay. He earned tenure in the spring of 2016, and his current title is Provost Distinguished Professor. Nope. No, he is a professor. He is a professor of computer science. science. Provost Professor. Uh, It's hard to drop. Names like Georgetown if you're a professor. That's that's true. Georgetown. Name check. I went to Harvard. Also, Cal Newport sounds like a branch of a California it uh, does. university. It does. It does. 100%. Yeah, it's like a technical school. In addition to researching cutting-edge technology, he also writes about the impact of these innovations on our culture. I like that. Newport is the author of six books, including the New York Times bestseller Digital Minimalism and Deep Work, which argues that focus is the new IQ in the modern workplace. I'm going to read Deep Work. It's it's great. Yeah. I've read it. It's okay. great. He also has a book I want to read called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Uh-huh. Um, and it's I think it's about honing your skill set. So uh-huh. it's very exciting. He's, okay. got, he's got some great work. All right, Cal. Newport's work has been published in over 25 languages and has been featured in many major publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New Yorker, Washington Post, and The Economist. So he's dumb and bad. He's dumb, bad, and not known. Mm -hmm. He regularly writes articles on these topics for a variety of outlets, including The New Yorker, The New York Times, and his long-running blog, Study Hacks, which receives over 3 million visits a year. He's also a frequent guest on NPR. Also, Lisa... He's never had a social media account. I hate him. And he says, it turns out this is allowed, <laughs> which I thought was funny. So uh, first impressions, the cover looks like uh, it's covered in like yellow stripes and it's really noisy and busy with a white circle in the middle with the title in blue text. It's literally a focus point in a noisy cover, which was very clever. All right, all right. It's 304 pages. And when I first picked it up, I immediately thought it was smart and insightful. And the narrator, because I listened to the audiobook, is wonderful. Very clear, soothing, pleasant male voice. All right. I'm one. I'm one over. I'm giving up all my digitals. Great. Okay. Goodbye. Great. <laughs> great first episode. Um, so the book summary, the very quick overview, according to calnewport.com, mm-hmm. which I thought was great, is in digital minimalism, best-selling author and professor Cal Newport argues that we have been too casual in adopting alluring new technologies, and as a result, our quality of life is diminishing. To solve this problem, he proposes a philosophy of technology use in which you radically reduce the time you spend staring at screens, focusing on a small number of digital activities that strongly support the things you deeply value, and then happily ignoring the rest. So that is the thesis statement. Lisa is pursing her lips. She got her. She's got her shade eyes on. Mm-hmm. Give me a little side eye. Well, he hasn't approached a value judgment yet, but I feel it's coming. Sure. So there are two parts of the book: foundations and practices. Mm-hmm. And among those are the following chapters: number one, a lopsided arms race; number two, digital minimalism; number three, the digital declutter. Number four, spend time alone. Number five, don't click like. Chapter six, reclaim leisure. And chapter seven, join the attention 
resistance. So also the structure of the book is really wonderful. He tells you exactly what he's going to talk about at the start of each chapter. Then he makes his arguments for that, backs it up with science and studies, and then recaps what he's just said at the end of each chapter. Do you know why I already hate this book? Why? Because I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This feels right. Welcome to Lisa, everyone. So it's a great way to digest the information, and it is explicitly clear. All right. There's no vagueness. Uh, So. I sat down to write my own notes, and I realized that there are so many incredible summaries of this book online already um, that I'm just going to use parts of the summary from a website uh, called paulminers.com that did a great job summing this up. So I just want to give credit where credit's due. Um, So the philosophy of digital minimalism. Our current relationship with technology is broken. Yes, the internet has significantly improved our lives. In isolation, no website or app can uh, can be considered as bad. Mm-hmm. Overall, however, all these shiny baubles draining our attention, addicting us to use them constantly, often at the expense of other activities we find more valuable, and manipulating our mood can lead to exhaustion. I do want to say it's very meta for me to watch you say this from the glow of your laptop. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, but I'm it's I'm just reading from a word doc. No, so I'm it's not, not saying I'm not it's just very meta. I know. As we speak into microphones <laughs> recording for a our podcast, podcast that people will listen to on their devices. While they're alone. That's, That's right. right. Don't ever be alone with your thoughts, we say. <laughs> just keep listening, everyone. Okay, so we didn't sign up for this. We signed up on social media to stay in touch with friends and we read the news on blogs to stay up to date. Yet we've ended up compulsively checking our pocket devices on average 85 times a day. So how did we end up here? Is it because we're lazy? No. This frantic use of technology has been engineered by tech conglomerates who make their fortunes exploiting your attention with billions of dollars invested to make this outcome inevitable. That's true. It is true. And he talks, he cites people, he he uh, has quotes from execs, etc. In other words, you signed up for the usefulness, not for this loss of autonomy. Mm-hmm. And truly, there are people out there going, how can we trigger a dopamine response in the brain to get someone to need to check this? How can we make this website stickier? Mm -hmm. And there was this brilliant quote in the book where uh, I can't remember if it was the author himself or someone else he quoted listening to the book. There was this tech exec being like, here's all like our our users average 15 hours a day on Facebook or whatever it is. They're averaging all this time every single day. And this reporter raised his hand and was like, do you think that any of your users could have built the kind of company that you've built if they were spending that much time on your website? And the guy had, like, no response for well, it. Well, of course not. Really the answer is no. Yeah. So how your addiction is engineered. Tech companies encourage behavioral addiction in two ways. The first is intermittent positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And the second is the drive for social approval. Mm-hmm. So he talks a lot about evolution and how our human brains, we really are designed and have evolved for social approval. It means our survival. And so these tech companies are getting really smart in the way that they play on that in these apps. So intermittent positive reinforcement. Every time you post something on social media, you're gambling. Will I get likes or hearts or retweets or comments or will I get no feedback? The outcome is hard to predict, which makes the whole activity of posting and checking extremely appealing. Similarly, going to a news website to check the weather may lead you to still mindlessly skip from one headline to another 
30 minutes later. Most articles are rubbish, but occasionally you'll land on a great one. With every appealing headline clicked or intriguing link tabbed, you pull the slot machine handle again. Add in the mixed notification uh, of badges, finger swipes, and never-ending fees, and you've got yourself an addiction formula that keeps you glued to the screen. That's how you train dogs. You After you've got them the behavior, you don't reward every behavior. You use like a jackpot, like a gambling. So like if you're training them sit once they've got the command, sit, 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 three treats. Interesting. So they don't know when the treats are coming. So they're always hoping. They're always going to do the command. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Mm -hmm. It's positive reinforcement. Intermittently. Mm -hmm. So the drive for social approval. Comments and hearts and likes feel like the tribe is showing us approval. Mm -hmm. Well, a lack of positive feedback creates a sense of distress. That explains the streak of daily posts on social media and the universal urge to immediately answer an incoming text. Mm -hmm. It is a satisfying confirmation that the relationship with a person or an audience is strong. However, we miss an important detail. Social validation feedback loops have been crafted in boardrooms to serve the interest of technology investors exploiting vulnerabilities in our human psychology. Yeah. A solution? Digital minimalism. Retreating to an earlier technological age is not the solution, of course. Neither are small tweaks like switching off the notifications from your phone. Cal Newport proposes a fully-fledged philosophy of technology use rooted in our deep values that prioritizes long-term meaning over short-term satisfaction. In other words, Digital minimalism is, quote, a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on anything else. To transform technological information from a source of distraction into tools that support a life well lived, digital minimalists must work backward from their deep values to technology choices, not the other way around. Yeah. So – the principles of digital minimalism. This reminds me of uh, Atomic Habits where it's I, you work identity outward to change yes. a habit versus process and outcome inward. Yes. And something that's been resonating with me as we've read all of these books is that getting in touch with your values and your principles is sort of step number one. It's the most important thing you can do yeah. to clarify the type of life you want, yeah. how you want to move through the world, the the your own morals that you want to live by, you know. Uh, so it's really powerful. So principles of digital minimalism. Clutter is costly. How much of your time and attention must be sacrificed to earn the small profit of occasional connections and new ideas through an active presence on Twitter? Cluttering time and attention with too many devices, apps, and services compounds to an overall negative cost that overwrites the small benefits that each item provides in isolation. Explained brilliantly in Thoreau's New Economics and Walden, quote, The cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to be exchanged for it immediately or in the long run. Mm -hmm. So this is hearkening back to the same principle as your money or your life, Mm -hmm. right? It's your life energy spent Mm -hmm. on that thing. So uh, the second principle of digital minimalism, optimization is important. Decide that a particular technology supports something you value and then think carefully about how you'll use this technology, not in the default way. For example, if your goal is to stay informed about current events, you can keep an eye on the links that pop up in your social media feeds, which is the default way, and it's not the best way to support your initial goal. 
The second thing is you could identify and follow a set of trustworthy news sites, which are optimized big returns, but there's still some room for improvement here. Or you can collect these articles on an app like Instapaper and read them all on a Saturday morning over coffee, distraction-free, which is very optimized um, and even more optimization than that won't bring additional value. Or you can buy a newspaper like I do and get real long-form journalism. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, what I love about his approach uh, is how inclusive it is. So he says he also recommends reading credible sources for the opposing arguments to the things you're reading about so you're well-informed, mm-hmm. which I loved. Mm-hmm. Uh Uh, The third principle is intentionality is satisfying. Intentional engagement with new technologies is one of the biggest reasons why minimalism tends to be immensely meaningful to its practitioners. Approaching decisions intentionally with the end goal in mind, not the tool, uh, can be more important than the impact of the actual decisions themselves. Mm -hmm. So becoming a minimalist. And of course, This is the broad overview. He gets way more detailed in how to do these things, more examples, the benefits, the drawbacks. So if you're already liking what you're hearing, you may want to read the book. And it's not a crazy long book. It's six or seven hours. Um, So becoming a minimalist. Becoming a minimalist. I liked that. Thank you. Those were mouth sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Mouth sounds by Misty Stennett. ASMR. Gradually changing your habits one at a time against the engineered attraction of the attention economy won't work well. The author recommends a rapid transformation called the digital declutter. The three-step process goes like this. During a 30-day period, take a break from all optional technologies in your life. Clearly, if you have a work email and that's required for you, or if engaging with people on Twitter is part of your job, right? That's not optional. But he also helps you determine what's truly optional and what's not and how to get how to determine what has value for you. So during a 30-day period, take a break from all optional technologies in your life. During this break, explore and rediscover activities and behaviors that you find satisfying and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Third step, at the end of the break, reintroduce optional technologies back into your life, asking yourself what value they serve and how you could use them to maximize their value. This is so interesting. So what's kind of lacking in this mm-hmm. is the the rote or habitual nature with which we use some um, uh, apps and things yeah, like that. Yeah, which is why he says that 30 days is necessary and to abstain from anything optional. I don't disagree. What we the, also learned from Atomic Habits is that it isn't about a length of time, but how right. many reps you do a thing. Right. He, he actually goes into technology addiction and how it's necessary to sort of go through the withdrawal symptoms. And a lot of people self-reported a lot of withdrawal in the first couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm saying like what we know with habit building yeah. and habit breaking, yes. we could use some of that yeah. combined with this. Right. So what if, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can go back and listen to it on my habits or read it by James Clear. It's actually really helpful in terms of right. breaking Which talks a about it's not, it's not how It's not how frequently you do a thing. It's how... Maybe. No, it is how frequently it's you do how a thing, not, you do not a the thing. length of time. Not the length of time. Or that how you can build in a yeah. new cue to help you overcome a, bad, a quote right. unquote bad habit. And actually, I think this is perfectly in line with that because what he talks about being the key to success here before you ever go on this digital declutter is to find behaviors and activities that are really meaningful to you to replace that screen time. Yes. Right? So that you're automatically 
frequently every single day instead of reaching for your phone going to that other behavior. So there is right. a good frequency involved. I do. I think together these yeah. these two books are yeah. probably they benefit one another yeah. really well. Yeah. Great. So uh so we're gonna how to define your technology rules. So which technologies are optional? This is your first question to answer before you start the 30 day break. Examples of optional technology could include electricity. That's right. Plumbing. That's refrigeration for me. Okay. We're all eating those like um what's in your your earthquake kit? Like just MREs. like the, yeah, yeah. Mixed just, water. Just the hunks of nutritious hunk. Okay, which technologies are optional? It's your first question. So, uh, examples of optional technology could include apps, websites, and digital tools delivered through a computer screen or a mobile phone meant to entertain, inform, or connect to you. Yeah. Text messaging could be optional. It depends. Yeah. And he's got a lot of caveats, which yeah. I love. Uh, video games, TV, and video streaming. Not your microwave, radio, or electric toothbrush. <laughs> the author considers all technology optional unless its temporary removal would harm or significantly disrupt your daily professional or personal life. Okay. So this is a cool way to think about it. In other words, if removing certain technology just makes things inconvenient, then it's definitely optional. But he immediately is like, look— if you want to cut back on text messaging, but your your 10-year-old daughter texts you to let you know that she's on the bus safe or that she needs to yeah, be picked up. you don't need to become a Luddite. Exactly. Yeah. He literally says that. In some instances, you might have to specify a set of operating procedures that dictate exactly when and how you use the technology during the 30-day break. Um, you can write this list of banned technologies and operating procedures and put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. Tattoo so, it on your forehead. That's it. And just look at it, but do it backwards so that when you look in the mirror, it, it reads well. Perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect. So take a 30-day break. Fight the urge to use banned technologies. The discomfort will fade after a week or two. The goal in the 30-day break is not just to detox you from technology. You must also rediscover what's important to you and what you enjoy outside of the digital world. Figuring this out before you reintroduce technology is crucial. So most people who fail on the detox fail because they don't have high-quality activities to replace their smartphone time. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gets into a lot of examples. Uh, cultivate high-quality, enriching alternatives to the easy distraction that the optional technologies provide. Go out, get your hands dirty, and experiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, get very creative with it if you can. So at the end, you'll have discovered activities that generate real satisfaction, leading to a better life where technology serves only a supporting role for yeah. these higher quality, richer activities. Yeah. So then the third step, reintroduce technology. After your 30-day break, reintroduce the optional technologies back into your life. Only allow technology that passes the following strict standards. One, does this technology directly support something that I deeply value? This is the only condition on which you should let one of these tools into your life. Be happy missing out on everything else. Number two, is this technology the best way to support this value? If not, replace it with something better. If yes, then you, then you move on to the final question, which is, how am I going to use this technology going forward to maximize its value and minimize its harms? In other words, how do you optimize this use of technology? Use only features that serve you and nothing else. So, for example, there are – he talks about an app where you can 
you can follow certain hashtags on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to follow what's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement, Mm -hmm. you can – um, you can say, okay, I only want things that get more than 10 comments or more than 50 retweets and also are from a verified account. Mm-hmm. So you can still use Twitter, but in a way that's really optimized yeah, yeah, for yeah. what you want to see, that's which I, I just love this. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, let's take, let's just be intentional. Mm-hmm. I think it's powerful. So um, operating procedures should also still be in place, even when you've reintroduced this. So instead of, I use Facebook because it helps my social life. Be specific. I check Facebook each Saturday on my computer to see what my close friends and family are up to. I don't have the app on my phone. I culled my list of friends down to just meaningful relationships. Yeah, I have a friend who uses Facebook for just her high school friends, and I find that brilliant and fascinating. I love it. I love it. And it it is daunting to, to think— Oh, I've got to go through and unfriend people. But again, there are apps to mute everybody yeah. but your top five. Yeah. And there's this number he talks about in the book. I can't remember what it's called. But there is uh, – the number is 150. And that is thought to be – It's community. That's yeah. like anything more than that you can't manage. Yeah. That is thought to be the number of relationships a human being can actually have a deep relationship with at any given time in their lifetime. Yeah. So if you're trying to keep up with 300 people – Chances are it's all surface level, right? And he keeps saying, like, if you being off of Instagram and not liking your friend's photos is going to make that friend fall away, it probably wasn't a deep relationship to start, right? So you end up sort of calling your friend list. So how to practice digital minimalism? Spend time alone. Solitude is a subjective state in which your mind is free from input from other minds. It requires you to avoid reacting to information created by others and focus on your own thoughts and experiences. Influential poets, novelists, and composers practiced solitude in the past, which was important for both their happiness and productivity, with three crucial benefits. New ideas, an understanding of the self, and closeness to others. Mm -hmm. So, um, however, new technology undermines time alone with our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Everyone benefits from regular doses of solitude, and anyone who avoids this state for an extended period of time will suffer. It's crazy. Uh, So this is where he gets into something called solitude deprivation, which resonated so, so deeply with me Mm -hmm. and started to make sense of the increase in anxiety we've seen in the world. Mm -hmm. So... A state in which you spend close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and free from input from other minds is called solitude deprivation. So the important part here is input from other minds. So even if you're alone, but you're listening to a podcast or reading news articles, you're still getting input from other minds. Mm -hmm. So this is key. True solitude is being alone with your own thoughts. So he says, without solitude, you miss the ability to clarify hard problems, regulate your emotions, build moral courage, and strengthen relationships. And he backs this up with studies. So this is interesting because it sounds like meditation, we try to be void of thought. Uh So this is just not meditation. This is just being by myself and having a conversation with myself. Totally. You might be woodworking. Mm-hmm. You might be going for a I, long walk. As I walk. do. I woodwork. I love to woodwork. I know you You do. might be cleaning your house. You could be playing with your dog. But mm-hmm. the point is there's nobody else, nobody else's input there mm-hmm. to really chatter at you. Um, could you be listening to music? That's a great question. I can't remember what he says. 
maybe classical music. That doesn't have lyrics. Lyrics, mm-hmm. right? Because when I'm listening like to jazz, music, yeah. I really get swept away in the mood of the song and the <laughs> yeah. lyrics. Sarah, if you put on a Sarah Borella song and I'm having the best day of my life, I'm, I'm going to cry. Yeah. Right? So, um, so it started, solitude deprivation really started with the iPod. It provided for the first time the ability to be continuously distracted from your own mind. I mean, wouldn't that be the Walkman even? He says that, but he he actually talks about that. He said, you know, in like the 90s, you didn't see every single person walking to work with their headphones on. Like there still was this idea that when you're out in the world, you're out in the world, right? So really – and he talks about Apple's marketing history. It went from being like, okay, cool, like – we're making it easy for you to have more music too. You need to listen to our music yeah, and the yeah. way they really marketed that. Um, however, it reached its solitude deprivation, reached its full potential with the spread of modern internet-connected smartphones. At the slightest hint of boredom, you can now quickly glance at a huge number of apps and mobile-adapted websites that are optimized to provide an immediate and satisfying dose of input from other minds and dopamine. So people born after 1995, also known as iGen, using using their devices constantly are especially prone to the worst effects of solitude deprivation, which are anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. As the author says, humans are not wired to be constantly wired. Mm-hmm. So he cites a couple of studies that show that anxiety in young people skyrocketed at the exact same time that smartphone ownership became ubiquitous. Because, um, and he, we may get to this later in the summary, but here's the thing. When we are speaking to another human being, Oh, like I'm looking at you right now. I'm seeing your body language, your facial micro expressions. Oh, Lisa's making funny faces at me. Uh, the tone of your voice when you're breathing. Are you rolling your eyes? There is this complex interpretation that took millions of years for my brain to evolve that really lights up my social connectivity in my brain. Mm-hmm. When it is just a computer screen, uh, a text message, a like, we're not getting to use those complex social and emotional systems that we need to feel connected as human beings. Mm-hmm. So it's really science-based. So when when you're you're not getting that face-to-face and you're not alone with your own thoughts to regulate your own emotion and and you know, uh uh Ned and Bill, Bill and Ned, the authors of the self-driven child, talk about this. Adventure. Radical downtime. You mm-hmm. can't actually experience life if you don't process things after the fact, right? So we keep hearing this scientific research in this arena. Uh, so practice. Leave your phone at home. And we'll get to some caveats. The phone is transformed from an occasionally useful tool to something we can't live without. Mm-hmm. So young people worry that they'll miss out on something better to do. Travelers need directions and recommendations for places to eat. Workers fear the idea of being both needed and unreachable at work. And everyone secretly fears being bored. Mm -hmm. The truth is this urgency to always have a phone with us is is exaggerated. You don't need to banish your phone forever. Just spend more time away from your phone and expose yourself to solitude. So one example he gives, which I love, is... Leave your phone in the glove compartment when you go out to dinner. So if you're a parent and the thought of leaving a kid alone with the babysitter without being able to be reachable is terrifying, no problem. Your phone is in your glove compartment if you want it, right? It's right there. You can run out and check it. But if you leave it in the glove compartment while you're out at dinner, 
you're not going to check it 14,000 times. So there are these sort of baby steps you can do. But he also pointed out that before the smartphone was invented, everyone had to be comfortable with the idea that an emergency could happen and yeah, the babysitter you just couldn't leave reach a, you. You leave the restaurant phone number. They can call you there. Yeah. Oh, man, do you remember when that was a thing? Yeah. I love it. Um, so he really meets you where you're at with his suggestions, which I loved. And he has a lot more suggestions um, for people who are at different levels of comfort with this. So practice. Take long walks. Taking long walks is a high-quality source of solitude. The author cites different reasons why he walks regularly. So uh, it's to make progress on a professional problem, self-reflection on some particular aspect of life, gratitude walks where he just enjoys particularly good weather, which I loved, or just to let his mind wander. Of course, taking a solitude walk requires not checking your phone, wearing headphones, or having company. I love it. Okay. So practice, another practice, write letters to yourself. Writing a letter to yourself not only frees you from outside inputs, but also provides a platform to organize your thinking when faced with demanding or uncertain circumstances. By the time you're done composing your thoughts, you'll often have gained clarity. It's easy to deploy, but also incredibly effective. And actually something that I thought about trying uh, that I'm, I think I'm going to go out and buy this weekend is I might keep a little pocket-sized moleskin on me. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to check my text messages when I have that urge, I might just go, what am I thinking right now? And just jot it down really Mm -hmm, quickly mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. see if that is sort of a leisure activity that can replace. Mm -hmm. Might I recommend the decomposition notebooks? What are those? They're made from um, recycled paper and they're designed to decompose. I love that. Wonderful. Okay, so here's a big section of the book that I loved. It's called Don't Click Like. Mm -hmm. We are hardly ever actually thinking about nothing. Even without a specific task to complete, our default network, the one that thinks about our social world, other people, ourselves, or both, remains highly active. Mm -hmm. By the way, he talked about um, when people were in an MRI uh, an MRI machine, and they w- they were studying the active areas of the brain. They were asked to solve math problems, and between each problem, were given only a three second break, mm-hmm. barely enough time to like consciously th- go and think about what your next thing's going to be. Mm-hmm. Three second break. The social network in your brain lights up. Mm. It's our default mode um, is to think about our social world. Mm. Which is really interesting. Um, so Aristotle was right when he famously noted that man is by nature a social animal. I, mean, I do want to say that yeah. for most people doing math problems, there's a lot of people. I I, I I see a little bit of inherent flaw in that design in that unless they were saying, even if they were saying correct or incorrect or if they weren't saying anything at all, I would want to know like – is that correct? Did they? What do they think of me? Am I stupid? That kind of thing, sure. which is kind of built into that. Yeah. So I would. I have a little. Sure. You know, you're look. You're talking to somebody who has three social degrees, social science sure. degrees. Yeah. So like, yeah. I'm always constantly like, mm, the design and, of that is interesting. Sure. And I mean, he does cite multiple studies. That's just one of them. But right. it's it's very interesting to see like, okay, a specific area of the brain is lighting up with a math problem, and then th- with just a moment's break, yeah. three seconds, a whole other area lit up. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's the, yeah. Um, uh, 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 so our brains have evolved to be sophisticated social computers performing social navigation and mind reading every day. However, in the past two decades, the rich face-to-face and interactions that I was talking about before, a cup of coffee with a friend, have been replaced by short text-based messages and approval clicks, like likes on a post. Why? 
Online interaction is both easier and faster than old-fashioned conversation, and many of these tools are engineered to hijack our behaviors and get us addicted. Mm -hmm. And he talks about phone anxiety. Like, do you remember when you used to be like, okay, I want to call my friend. I'm going to call them, but I don't know which parent's going to pick up. I don't know what they're going to think about the interruption. I don't know if anyone else is going to listen. Like, I had a ton of phone anxiety when I would call friends when I was younger. Oh, Chuck Linky worked that shit out of me real fast. Oh, great. Made me practice answering the phone. Made me practice asking for whom I wanted to speak with. That's wonderful. Uh-huh, That's yeah. wonderful. But I get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there were a lot of parents who were like, I was like, hi, is Stacy available? And they'd be like, I don't know, is she? Or they'd go, Yes. And then I would just sit there, and then they'd be like, do you want to talk to her? And I'd be like, may I please talk to her? You know, they really trained Oh, you know, this asshole had to be like, that's right. hi, this is Lisa Linky calling for Misty. Is she available? Right. Mm -hmm. So so that is why these have become so popular. It avoids all that anxiety. When I see a lot of millennials post about how that if somebody calls them, it's the rudest thing to do, I— feel sad for them. I do too. Because it's like, actually, I'm getting more information from the sound of your voice than I am just from a text. Yeah. And it's it's way more personal. Yeah. So this trade-off is detrimental to our well-being, Cal Newport says. Offline interactions re- require processing large amounts of information about body language, facial expressions, voice and yeah. tone, while the low bandwidth online chatter leaves our high-performance social processing underused. Yeah. Uh, more importantly, there is a zero-sum relationship between online and offline interaction. The more you spend time on social media, the less time there is available for slower real-life conversations. So here's where he talks about conversation and connection. So the book draws a distinction between a connection, which he's calling online interaction. So that's the specific definition for for this purpose. And conversation, which are high bandwidth offline communication between humans. So face to face conversation, online connection. So online connection uh, doesn't add up to a real conversation where we're fully present, listen actively, develop empathy, experience the joy of being heard and understood, learn patience, and respond to tone and nuance. It doesn't matter how long the text conversation goes on. To help digital minimalists rebalance, the author suggests the philosophy of conversation-centric communication. Conversation uh, conversation involving nuanced analog cues, like a face-to-face meeting, a video chat, or a phone call, is the only form of interaction that counts toward maintaining a relationship. Anything textual or non Interactive, like social media, email, text, and instant messaging, should be categorized as mere connection. In this philosophy, connection has merely a logistical role. The uh, the logistical role is one to help arrange actual face to face conversations, mm-hmm. or to ask or have the transfer of practical information, like a meeting location or time. Right, right. So in other words, connection is not an alternative to conversation; it's a supporter. So long, open. Ended ongoing text-based chats won't get you this, right? Right, right. So as the author beautifully and and brutally highlights, our sociality is simply too complex to be outsourced to a social network or reduced to instant messages and emojis. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Right? I mean, those things help, but— yeah. In a pinch, but, but yeah, I love it can't this be idea substituted. Of, yeah, so in this case, he's not asking you to get rid of text messaging, but if you confine it to, hey, when are you free to meet up— 
that's an optimizational use, right, right? Right. So a practice, don't click like. To replace rich social interactions with likes is the ultimate insult to the social processing powerhouse within us. Mm-hmm. It's like towing a Ferrari behind a mule. <laughs> likes have turned into social networks, uh, have turned social networks into digital slot machines dominating the user's time and attention and your information preferences and humanity into statistical slivers mine to target you with better ads and stickier content. Yeah. For the sake of your social well-being, don't click and don't comment. Some people, those whose relationship with you exists only over social media, will inevitably fall out of your social orbit. Let them go. Mm -hmm. So next practice, consolidate texting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which I've already touched on. Nowadays, being a friend means always being on call, attentive, online. Uh, So, And he, he doesn't argue this. He says that's the expectation I don't know if I agree with that. Well, yes. I mean, overall in the culture, I think there's this idea that we can text anytime. It's not a full phone call, et cetera. So, like, you're you're pretty much available. Yeah, you're okay. on call. I mean, of course, there's times where you're like, I'm I mean, going I would say close thing. friends. Like, I wouldn't do that to any friend. Oh, no, 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 no. Being a good friend. Okay. Being a good close friend means being on call. So he doesn't say not to do this, but a compromise that respects both your obligation to be on call and your human need for real conversation, consolidate texting. So keep your phone in do not disturb mode by default. No notifications. Adjust the settings so calls from a selected list, your spouse, your kid's school, that sort of thing, do come through. And schedule your phone to turn notifications on during predetermined times, consolidating sessions in which you go through texts you've received and respond as needed. So this way you can be more present because you're not on call by default and you can upgrade your real-life relationships with people that really matter. Right, right, right. So um, I have a friend who basically during the workday will just check texts once, respond to everybody really quickly in a flurry. So there's just that like 10 minute disruption to his day and then go right back into do not disturb mode. Yeah. So, and you can let people know in advance, this is, I don't check things right away, but you will receive an answer from me within a few hours of texting me. Just set expectations, right? So, um, So the practice, you can also hold conversation office hours, which is really fun if you have a set schedule. So um, you can put aside times on set days during which you're always available for conversation, real life, i.e. in a coffee shop or office, on the phone or online, like during commute time. Then promote them to the people you care about. So basically, if somebody goes, hey, I was just wondering, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, and they email you, you go, call me any day, Monday through Friday at 530. I'll be available because that's when I'm in the car. That's when Sarah and I usually talk when she's commuting. uh, And I usually talk with some other friends when I'm driving to and from the west side. Yeah. And he talks about how this really frees up the people in your life to call you because they know they won't be interrupting. They know it's a good time for you. It also works for them because you go, here are four days. You know that I can do this. Um, Reclaim leisure is the next practice. How does one live a good life? Well, according to the MIT philosopher Kieran Sitya, mm-hmm. if your life consists only of actions whose worth depends on the existence of problems, difficulties, needs, which these activities aim to solve, you're vulnerable to existential despair. Is there all is this all there is to life? For Aristotle, <laughs> for Aristotle, he says A life well-lived also requires activities that serve no other purpose than the satisfaction that the activity itself generates. We remember that from Aristotle's way. We do. And I think this is why I love salsa dancing so much. There is no extra purpose of salsa dancing 
other than salsa dancing. Yeah, for you, it really generates a lot of happiness. A lot of joy. And for some people, it's like, you know, contemplation of thoughts. There's no other purpose but to contemplate your thoughts, right? There's not sort of this goal. So um, the author calls these joyful activities high-quality leisure. Mm -hmm. And this is what's important to replace those minutes of screen time with. Mm -hmm. However, as work and life blend, jobs become more demanding, community traditions degrade, people fail to cultivate the high-quality leisure lives that Aristotle identifies as crucial for human happiness. So this void is now easy to fill by pulling out a smartphone or tablet and numbing yourself with mindless swiping and tapping. Digital minimalists, therefore, start by cultivating high-quality leisure before cutting off their worst digital habits. That's smart. To escape the passive interaction with your screen as your primary leisure, use the internet against itself. Find communities related to your interests and access obscure information needed to support your real-life high-quality leisure. Mm -hmm. YouTube's great for this. Mm -hmm. You want to learn a new skill? Go on and learn it, mm-hmm. right? Watch I mean, videos. 35 videos later, you will be into an all That's right. right. I don't even want to tell you yeah. how many I watched to learn to leather yeah. work. Um, soon you will no longer need distractions to pass time right. because you'll have these high-quality leisures. Right. So leisure lesson number one, prioritize demanding activity over passive consumption. Expending more energy in your leisure, uh, the Bennett principle tells us, can end up energizing you more. It's, I was thinking that was the number of 150 people, but I don't think it is. No, that's from Malcolm Gladwell's thing that he talked Thank about. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is, it is somebody's name that starts with a D or something. I yeah. Leisure lesson number two. Use skills to produce valuable things in the physical world. Craft any activity where you apply skill to create something valuable is a good source of such high-quality, energizing leisure. Craft makes us human, and in doing so, it can provide deep satisfactions that are hard to replicate. If you want to fully extract the benefits of craft, seek it in its analog forms. Mm -hmm. Leisure lesson number three, seek activities that require real-world structured social interactions. The best social leisure activities require you to spend time with other people in person, and the activity provides structure for the social interaction, like rules to follow, insider terminology or rituals, or a shared goal. And he talks about this game cafe Mm -hmm. that always has a line out the corner because Mm -hmm. there's there's no uh, Wi-Fi, and there's just hundreds of games to choose from a game sommelier and you just sit there you reserve a table and you play games with your friends there's a bar around the corner from my old house in Chicago and it always it had a million board games and you would just go and play and it was our favorite place and it's like why does this have a line around the block when we've all got smartphones and it's because we get to actually experience these high quality social interactions it's why poker night is great and even when you you've run out of chips you stay for the whole thing right so such examples of this include board and card games rec recreational sports leagues, volunteer activities, working on a group project, or social workouts. So other things um, are fix or build something every week. Uh, he actually encourages you to do sort of a six-month situation I mean, this. I think we can all think of things that like yeah. we would love, that we used to do before we had smartphones. And if you're young and you've always had access to, to technology, you can ask your parents or your older siblings. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so a, a really helpful thing here is to schedule in advance your low-quality leisure. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not saying eliminate technology. We're saying be intentional and use it as it suits you. Mm-hmm. So you can arrange specific times during which you'll indulge in web surfing, social media checking, and entertainment streaming. You could go for two hours every Sunday. I'm going to be on Instagram. 
That's it. I love Twitter. I'm doing it. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, This way, by confining the use of these attention-capturing services to well-defined periods, your remaining leisure time is left protected for more substantial activities, and you don't have to completely abandon the low-quality diversions. Mm -hmm. So um, you can also join groups, lodges, social social, uh, volunteer companies, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So join the attention resistance. The compulsive use of our mobile phones is not an accident. It's instead, a fun, it's instead a fundamental chapter in the digital attention economy playbook. In the attention economy, businesses make money gathering consumers' attention and then repackaging and selling it to advertisers. Mm-hmm. To sustain this type of compulsive use, however, tech conglomerates cannot have people thinking too critically about how they use their phone. Mm-hmm. They don't want you, for example, to see their products as a variety of different free services that you can carefully sift through and use in a manner that optimizes the value you receive. That would be too disastrous. Um, but yet this is what pure digital minimalism suggests. So um, he talks about deleting social media from your phone. Mm-hmm. If you always have the phone with you, every occasion becomes an opportunity to check your feeds. Uh, And that's because the social media apps are specifically designed. And the way you scroll down in a slot machine motion to refresh your feed, even that Mm -hmm. is something that, that taps into your brain. So if you remove all social media apps from your phone, even just that barrier of, oh, I have to have my laptop with me or be at home to check can be really effective. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to quit these services. You can optimize them, right? So you can turn your devices into single-purpose computers. So to do that, you um, can use uh, software mm-hmm. that restricts your online hours. Mm-hmm. He gives a ton of suggestions about this. Um He also talks about embracing slow media. Focus only on the highest quality sources, Mm -hmm. right? Like the New York Times. Breaking news and social media feeds are out. For quality reporting and commentary, constrain your attention to a small number of people who have proved to be world-class on the topics you care about. Mm -hmm. And look for sources with different angles on the same subject, too, which he talked about. You can also dumb down your smartphone as a last step. You can buy a feature phone with oversized buttons. Declaring freedom from your smartphone is probably the most serious step you can take toward embracing the attention resistance. But he talks about um, dumb phones, which you can actually set to forward calls from your smartphone while you're out so that you can still make a phone call or receive that if you want. You could still send a text, but that's it. And then when you come back to your smartphone, you can turn call forwarding yeah. off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the key takeaways as a conclusion, we eagerly signed up for what Silicon Valley was selling, but now we've realized that it's degrading our humanity, right? Because when they designed things yeah. like text I mean, and that the is iPod, a bold statement. It's bold. I mean— But I don't disagree. Uh, I, that's tough. I feel yeah. like technology in some ways has made me have more— have closer relationships mm. with some family. Like, Here's what I'll say. I'll amend it. But now we've realized it's degrading our autonomy instead of humanity. Because yeah. it does feel like it sort of sucks us in in a way that's like yeah, for sure. physiologically unfair. For sure. uh, digital minimalists see new technologies as tools to support the things they deeply value, not as sources of value themselves. They are highly selective and intentional when it comes to how they use technology, and they're comfortable missing out on everything else. Digital minimalism requires ongoing adjustments and digital declutter. The philosophy doesn't reject the innovations of the internet age. It rejects the mindless way most people currently engage with them. So that is a broad overview of digital minimalism, choosing a focused life in a noisy world by Cal Newport. Nice job. And this 
the book is so rich with examples yeah. and wonderful research and clarity. So if you want more of this, I really encourage everyone to read it or listen to it for themselves. Um, it's wherever books are sold. And you can go to calnewport.com if you want to learn more about him, his other work, or this book. Misty. Yo. Did this book need to be written? A hundred percent. Hard yes. Do you feel like this book was inclusive? I do. So uh, he uses the example of a person named Jennifer mm-hmm. and says their preferred pronouns are they and them mm-hmm. and does that and really um, includes a ton of examples of, well, what if you're a new mom and you need to get a hold of this? Or what if you're a CEO? You know, really talks about meeting you where you are, no matter what your technological specifications are. Does he talk about how to raise children in this? This sounds like it's really for an adult to to impl- uh, to impl- implicate no to employ to yeah Im- it really Im- what is it yes. the word when you you, you self implement 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 thank you yeah it does feel like that I mean I think he never says if you want to teach this lesson to your kids go about it that way but I think there's a lot of great information that you can you could give your kid a dumb phone and say this is for calls while you're out. I mean, here's how to restrict your thing, but it is focused not, that does not address peer it, pressure at all. No, it doesn't. Right. But it is it is focused on your own habits. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Yeah. Um what did the author get right? Oh my god, uh honestly, I loved everything. Okay. I loved what everything. did the author get wrong? Um I, again, not not too much because he does say, I'm not saying don't use technology. Yeah. I'm saying here's how we can use it for our benefit. And everything, every single claim he made was backed up by research. I mean, he's a professor. Yeah. So basically every chapter was, here's my thesis statement. Here are my arguments for it. Here's my supporting evidence. Here's my conclusion. Here's my recap. It's When reading it, did it come across as more academic or more uh, like easy to read? Honestly, really easy to read. Okay. There's a lot of humor. And even if you go to Cal Newport's website, it's not that it's like joke, funny, ha-ha. Like Ramit Sethi and I Will yeah. Teach You To Be Rich was trying to be cute. And he was like, so you got two twins. Oh, no. Their money no. and their success. No. Which hot twin do you choose? It wasn't that. It, he just has a sense of humor through which he writes super accessible and explicitly clear. Um, what, did, what, if anything, did you enjoy and employ? Did I enjoy an employee? So uh, we've talked about this a few times. I'm already taking a social media break from my own personal Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a couple of months, and it's been really, really healthy for me. And there have been a couple times that I've gone on and seeing the contrast of that calm equilibrium I have, not checking it, and then being wildly triggered has been pretty jarring. Um but I still text all day long with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So this past week, I started putting my phone on Do Not Disturb during work hours Great. and only checking it once or twice an hour, okay. which is an improvement for me and responding to, to text, but it's still a big pull. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to work on only using text to set up face-to-face interactions. And then the other thing I did, Lisa, which was so huge for me, three times this week, three whole times I was alone with my thoughts for prolonged periods of time. This was not, I'm listening to an audiobook yeah. and I'm cleaning the house yeah. and I'm doing a podcast. Like, I really, because we all know I don't give myself a lot of downtime. So that felt really big Good. for me. And it felt like I had permission and it was important. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, and by the way, this book, because uh, uh, I know you're going to ask what it's perfect, who it's perfect for. Yeah. Every single millennial, iGen, 
Sure. Jenner, uh, Baby Born Now, everyone, anyone who is feeling severe existential angst and is consumed by social media, I just I think it's perfect for everyone. Okay. Everyone. Great. Highly recommend. Uh, who is it terrible for? This book is um, terrible for people who want to learn how to trap people on websites because <laughs> we don't want them to read it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's terrible for somebody who doesn't use technology, right? Like if you're in your... For a Luddite. Yeah. If you're 70 and you're like, I don't need to read... Like, if you're Amish. Yeah. Yes, if you're Amish. But he also talks about how the Amish actually... He has a whole section on Amish people and how they uh, actually use this technology in a very intentional way and we can learn from them. They do. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, do you have any homework for me? I do. I But it's pretty passive. I just want you to get in touch with uh, just become aware of how you're using social media. Like, yeah. like, is it harming you? Is it really beneficial? And just sort of contemplate on that. I'm pretty intentional about it. You are very intentional yeah. about it. But I'm, I'm curious if the benefits for you outweigh the harms. What's the, the is it a zero-sum game? Is it in the positive? Yeah. That sort of thing. It's also tough because I, I have to. You do have to. Yeah. Exactly. So that's not optional for you. So right. I'm, I guess I'm wondering, like, you know, is there a way where you go, hey, I could just check Twitter one hour every day and not sort of check it consistently. You know, just thinking about optimizing a little bit more. Yeah. So I don't want you to optimize, but just become aware of that. Also, to be clear, I don't check Twitter constantly throughout the day. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> I don't know. Who can know? I haven't tweeted in like four years. So. Uh, yeah. There's some fun stuff on it. Yeah. And there's some garbage stuff, just like anything. So lots of food for thought yeah. going into the new year. How to be intentional yeah. with this. How to really optimize your life and make everything work for you. And um, if anybody has tried this or wants to try this with me or, like, just wants to check in and is like, hey, I I listened to the podcast episode and I tried this thing and it yeah, sucked. Yeah, let us know. Hit us up. Go help yourself podcast at gmail.com. We're here for you. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to 2020. And as you say, 2020, 20, plenty, plenty. And life, life is, is abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at GHY Podcast, or check out our website, GoHelpYourselfPodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.